Welcome to the Ape Talks. As always, this is your host, Mr. Ape, and I hope you enjoy the 45th installment of me talking to someone else. So, Dr. Chris, uh, please tell me, what is philosophy? Well, uh, I like to think of it as uh, the uh, intense interest in learning and in uh, acquiring knowledge. So, um, and really not even so much in acquiring knowledge, but uh, learning how to inquire into uh, knowledge. I like to talk about epistemic humility. So epistemic means knowledge, and humility means to be uh, sort of uh, humble toward uh, what it is that you know. So this kind of follows the Socratic ideal. And he said, this is, this is what philosophy is. It's that knowing that you don't know anything. And that, of course, sounds strange because, well, how, how can you know that you don't know anything? And uh, what he means is, or what I take it to mean, is that um, he understands uh, when he doesn't know sufficiently what he needs to know and then keeps looking to find out and knows that uh, whatever we're looking into always requires uh, more inquiry. We have to be humble about what we know because we never have the complete story. So wisdom consists in uh, realizing that uh, you might be wrong, <laughs> and, which I think is a very important, uh, very important idea. Right. Yeah, yeah I, I might have been wrong today. I forgot to ask for you to pass me your cup so I could give you something. <laughs> okay. Uh, that was my mistake. That's fine. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, philosophy sounds a lot like humility to me to a certain extent, and the idea of not knowing uh, what you, uh, knowing what you don't know is very important. Because uh, to a sense, you could say that, uh, unfortunately, uh, most people don't come to realize this until once they've gathered enough information that really they don't, they don't know anything. The more they know, the more questions they gain. That's right. That often happens. Right. Yeah. And so uh, sometimes we just sort of stop at some point and say, that's, uh, that's all I can do is this sufficient and um, I have to take a stand and go with it. But, uh, and that's, you know, that's necessary, but it's, it doesn't mean that like... Oh, I can have whatever opinions I want. <laughs> right. It means that you take your opinions seriously enough to examine them to see that they are possibly false. And that means that you take the same attitude toward other people. So you you have to say that your own opinion is possibly false. So that makes me uh, more susceptible to listen to you, for example. Right? And so I can learn something from you. Right? So anyway, I think that Sometimes people have a, an idea of philosophy that is like, uh, um, I don't know, they think it's really uh, hard and obscure, or they think that it's uh, just about the, the sort of the, the great pronouncements or quotations from past philosophers who have said things, and we're supposed to go, ah, yes, very wise, very wise. Uh, no, it's about inquiry, and I think primarily a, uh, a method of inquiry. That is, uh, there is a way to go about looking into serious questions. Um, and that's, I think, the best thing that philosophy can teach is how to study uh, whatever you're interested in. All of us are interested in truth, right? Um, but we recognize that uh, truth is difficult to obtain and uh, that, nevertheless, there is a way of, of looking into questions that is methodical so that you can be sure you're getting somewhere as opposed to just, you know, 
shooting blanks around. He goes, oh, I think this. I think, oh, you think that? Well, I think this. You know, and where do we go but, uh, or where do we get to other than, oh, everybody has their own opinion. By the way, Dr. Uh, Chris, what's your take on uh, hedonism? I'm curious. Hedonism. Um, hedonism, you know, is a, a Greek word for pleasure. And um, it's the idea that, uh, or at least in, in philosophy, uh, it's often said that um, pleasure is something that we all seek. And some say that pleasure is something that we ought to seek in order to live a good life, or that pleasure is the end or goal of life. For what reason do we do anything? Well, we do it for the pleasure that it gives us. Just the way we're constituted, we seek pleasure instead of pain in much of what we do. And when we are in pain, we seek to, you know, alleviate it, right? If we're hungry, we're in kind of pain. So what do we do? We eat, you know, and then that gives us pleasure, right? Right. When you ask the question, what I think about hedonism, I think you're asking, should we have pleasure as an object? You know, ought we have pleasure as an object uh, of, of our uh, main object of motivation in our lives? And I think... Uh, in the end, it's a very thin sort of doctrine. It doesn't go very far. On one hand, I think, you know, the idea that we seek pleasure is sort of uh, true and trivial and kind of empty. And if, if you take it to be like anything you do, you do it to be satisfied. Well, yeah, of course. You know, we, we're always looking to do what we perceive to be good, even when we might be doing something that we kind of know is bad we think well maybe i can get away with it or maybe you know it's it'll be okay you know this time we want to accomplish certain things that don't necessarily lead to pleasure you know and and in doing them they're unpleasurable even if the end is sort of gives us some pleasure to call it pleasure you know it just seems rather thin it, it's more like um aiming to do something that gives me a fulfillment in life not a pleasure sensation I don't seek pleasure sensations. Hmm. I seek uh, ful fulfilling kinds of activities. There are a lot of you know difficult experiences that you would want to have. For me, reading, <laughs> reading philosophy, for example, <laughs> is something that I want to do. It's not often pleasurable. Sometimes it's you know it's terribly hard and even boring. But I want to do it because I have certain goals to uh, attain or exercising and exercising is a great example you know uh if i don't exercise i'm very unhappy <laughs> right i don't have much pleasure right but doing it is painful and awful sometimes right and so you might say well okay you 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 you're just postponing your hedonism you're you're you know willing to put up with a certain amount of pain and then to attain the pleasure pleasurable result in the end Sometimes, but another way to conceive of uh, pleasure, I think, is something not that we aim for. And the more you aim for pleasure, um, I think the more desperate your aim will be. Because then you'll always be, well, okay, I didn't get the pleasure, so i got to go to some, something else that's going to give me pleasure. And then uh, these things tend to be short-lived. And so when the pleasure runs out, you're, you're on to something else. Pleasure is um, it's a byproduct of, of an activity. So uh, it's not the aim of the activity. It's the, it's the result of what you're doing. And if you think of pleasure as a result instead of the aim, you're actually more likely to have pleasure from it. You know? And so you will pursue those things, those activities that you think are worthy. 
I think it's really important to be sad when it's appropriate. Right? So I don't aim to be to to have pleasure. I aim to be uh, appropriate. If uh, a friend of mine dies, I don't think about well, how can I feel better about this? You know, uh, how can I? Uh, you know, get through this so I can feel pleasure again, you know, or what is pleasurable about this? There's nothing pleasurable about it. But remember your friend, you, you're, you're sad about it. It's important to be sad about it because you're going to miss this person. That's an important part of life. There's nothing about pleasure that I'm interested there. Right? So there are lots of things that we do without regard to the pleasure uh, that we uh get from them or that result from them is that did i answer your question i think so <laughs> i think the answer is somewhere I mean, in there epicurus is you may have heard of epicurus epicureanism right it's where we get the the notion of uh, people who are epicures right love food and drink and stuff and they they cultivate their uh sense of good from you know these, uh, these uh, aesthetic pleasures right the pleasures of the senses so they think that epicurus was telling everybody, you know, uh, well, well, you should, you know, this is how to live. You, you, you pursue those things to give you pleasure. Epicurus didn't really say that. At least he knew that, uh, you know, if I just enjoyed food all the time, it would be really bad for me, actually, to get, you know, if I pursued my pleasure in food all the time, I would become unhealthy, you know, overweight or become sick, <laughs> or whatever. So you, you moderate you know, and if you want to really to have a good life, you have to moderate your pleasures. It kind of reminds me of Stoicism in a way. The example of if you're at a funeral at a funeral of your friend and you have to find the positive way of looking at it, it would be very stoic to find. Uh, <laughs> an well, I I can appreciate the rest of my friends now more or something. You know, to f you always are looking to find yeah. the the benefit lesson of whatever horrible experience you endure in that sense yeah that's right that's a good example and a good contrast because you know sometimes this stoic is contrasted with the epicure but in some ways they're also similar but the the stoic says okay pleasure is not what we should pursue what we should pursue is what the rational nature of things requires <laughs> we should do what uh what reason says is appropriate you know so and sometimes the, in doing so the stoic forgets that Oh, yeah, you know, sometimes you need some pleasure too, <laughs> right? But you're right, the, the Stoic would say, well, let's, you know, let's think about this rationally and that, yes, now I can appreciate the friends that I do have. If I, you know, I am sad about the one that I lost, then I recognize that, yes, I appreciate the ones I have. And also, you, you don't indulge too much mm. in such, you know, sadness about these losses, the Stoic says, because it's not a, it's not in accord with the nature of things, as they put it. The nature of things is that people die, and we lose them, and there's nothing we can do about that. And so when that happens, you have to uh, uh, adjust to it and say, okay, this is sad, but this is this is life. At the same time, you also don't go immediately <laughs> and say, ah, that's life, well... Yeah. Sucks for you. <laughs> right. Again, too, there's kind of a, a, a balance. Uh, uh, there's stoic virtue to be uh, sought for there as well. Uh, I asked you about uh, hedonism, yes. right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we talked a little bit about stoicism, but let's, if we talk about the other extreme, which is nihilism, 
Yeah. Right. Okay. What's your take on that? Uh, it's more of a, a, a position or a stand that says um, there are no values. So there's, there are no values to be realized. They are you know, false values or there's no point in pursuing these values. Um, they, it's complicated. They might say that there are no objective values. That's probably true <laughs> in some sense. But, you know, because we could talk about, well, there do seem to be relative, you know, what do you mean by objective? And then we can talk about, you know, there are relative values or things that we certainly do take up as valuable that we live by. And I think if someone tries to live by uh, nihilism, it was going to be very difficult because I think it's unavoidable. We have to, for us to live, we have to uh, assume that there are certain values, certain things to do that are better than other things to do. It's a lot like uh, hopelessness in a, in a sense, where you have nothing to to keep you moving forward. And it kind of reminds me of a very popular philosophy, which I think is very prevalent. And I'd like to ask you, what's your take on why this particular philosophy is prevalent, which is existentialism? I uh, really first got into philosophy from from existentialism, really? as a lot of people do. Yeah. And first, I want to say something about nihilism, because it, it's uh, part of a historical condition, I think, that we have been interested in nihilism, I think, uh, more so in the early 20th century. Uh, actually, this feeds into uh, the uh, sort of development or, or rise in interest in, uh, in existentialism. Along with that is a sort of uh, an increasing skepticism about uh, what we can know for certain, right? So this, the, and what we can know and what we can value these two things uh, started to diminish. And a lot of the existentialists, or some of them, recognized this uh, development and started to say, well, what can we do? <laughs> what, what should we do in view, of, in view of this valueless world? How do we live? And they also recognized that there was a kind of, I think as you mentioned, a kind of despair in the ability to find something valuable to live for. And, and I think what's telling about that is that we really do need something to live for. <laughs> Definitely. Some, some reason uh, that enables us to say, this is why I'm getting out of bed today. I, I'm not very familiar with philosophy. Uh, and uh, my original uh, understanding of what existentialism was, what your uh, explanation of uh, nihilism is yeah and uh, it's funny yeah. that uh, existentialism because the way i look at it is some depressed teenager staring at the sky thinking about the meaning of life <laughs> and can't find an answer you know well there is that but uh was it, is that all you wanted to say yeah yeah <laughs> yeah no i mean there is that but it, uh there's much more to it i mean you know there are there are uh christian existentialists okay and i don't know that there are uh uh, Muslim existentialist, but there may be. I wouldn't be surprised. And how does that work exactly? What does that mean? You know, I don't know enough about it to say, but it, it's something like the individual's relationship, say, to God is more of an individual one than, say, one that is uh, goes through the church, for example. Maybe the relationship that one has to God is more uh, intimate, more direct in some sense, but also, in, in another sense, more abstract. So some Christian existentialists think of God to be more like equivalent with being, 
you know. What do you mean by that? Yeah, what do I mean by being? Um, (laughs) What do you mean by being? (laughs) That's a really hard... (laughs) What a weird question. Philosophy is so weird, right? Right. I mean, existence. So what is existence? You know, is a, you know, it's a interesting question uh, in some ways. I mean, one of the fundamental questions we can ask is why does anything exist as opposed to not? And for many people, the way to answer that question is, well, well, God, God brought everything into existence. Right? It sounds like Lisb- Lisbon, the German philosopher. Leibniz. Leibniz. <laughs> His name is so hard. Exactly. I, I happen to know a lot about Leibniz, but... Uh, I mean, that was his question, basically, the, the principle of sufficient reason, why there is something and not nothing, and his answer was, well, you know, there had to be, there had to be, even in, in the sense that it's necessary, it could not happen without, that there is a being that is responsible for all of being, and for the way that things are, that is, for the, the nature of things. So, the nature of matter, the nature of human being, the, the, the nature of the cosmos, all these things were, you know, God is the answer to that, right? Some seek to sort of depersonalize God, which I think, you know, is, is very interesting, very important, because we tend to think of God in our own terms. We anthropomorphize God. What does that word mean? Anthropomorphic means human-shaped. Okay. So however we conceive of God, it seems to filter through our own way of thinking. So we say things like, God is all-powerful and all-wise all and all-good. You know, all the great things that we are not, you know, just the, the perfections of our, of, of our own selves. Right? We sort of project and think that's what God is like. We also readily notice that things are not so well in the world. Right? That if, if God does know best, I think there's more that we can say about what God is doing. And it also seems that, it, you know, maybe God should tell us something. And the fact that he's <laughs> not telling us is itself. <laughs> so, you know, so I was indicating the sort of general skepticism there is about religion, right? Historically, we've come to a point where there's more skepticism about that. So this is why some existentialists thought that maybe there's another way to conceive of God. And maybe God is just equivalent with what we call existence or being, that things are, right? There, thereby, we sort of depersonalize, we, we de-anthropomorphize God. And we put God in a category, well, well, we don't really understand, but we do know that God is responsible for being. And that in itself is amazing, right? And it's enough to say whatever it is that religion is telling us, it's telling us that uh, it's putting us in touch with this incredible fact that things are, right? And they might not have been. In view of that, what are we supposed to do with ourselves? How should we live? It's a, I think, you know, a great, a great philosophy. But there's, there's a lot else. <laughs> right. There's a lot, there's a no, lot of philosophy. There's a lot of philosophy. You know. But the point you bring up is uh, existence, and I want to ask you the most annoying question that I think philosophers are asked and the philosophers are expected to know. But uh, what is the main purpose of our existence? What is the meaning of life? Do you think? I'm going to deflect the question because. Uh, <laughs> There doesn't seem to be an answer that that is uh, very uh, 
clear or satisfactory or even, you know, what is the, pur- there is no purpose uh, that uh, where where would it be? If, how would we know what it was? Maybe you know, it's in the fridge or in the in the shelf. <laughs> you know <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, actually, uh, you know, I I dealt with this when I was a younger man, when I was just, just sort of getting into existentialism and asking these questions. What motivated me actually was to stop thinking that there is a purpose that I have to discover, as if you know it's going to fall out of the sky or or I'm going to you know exactly as you said. Open the refrigerator, and there it is. <laughs> what was it? You ever see? You ever see the movie by Steve Martin called The Jerk? It's really pretty funny. He discovers his his purpose, but uh, I think when you stop thinking about what your purpose is and think about what to do to make your life important, you know, and and reflect deeply on that, it doesn't mean like just making anything up and doing it. But uh, as someone my age, what, what advice would you give to someone my age who's trying to figure that out, to help them figure that out easier? One thing I would do is don't do it alone in your room. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would talk to someone who can help you sort through your thoughts. Because I think, you know, we often get caught up in our own ways of thinking. Mm. And uh, so it's important to talk to other people. I never wanted to be bored. So... I, 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 boredom is the, the worst condition for me. So I always tried to do something interesting. If you have an intuition that something is, you know, you find fascinating, you know, see about trying to make it what you can do all the time. You know, everybody has to work to make a living. You know, most of us do. And I think the best thing you can do is do what gives you satisfaction uh, or fulfillment. Um, most of the time, because you will never really be disappointed what happens. Yeah, tent, it, what I've read is uh, when people get to the certain age where they, they get close to death, they regret what they didn't try. Yeah, now, I think that's uh, I think that's very true. And uh, you you a lot of people play it safe and you know go the the planned route or the predictable route or the easy route. Um, and I think sometimes they may be, you know, wish they had done something else but we have to make choices and there are only so many things we can do it's just a fact of existence that we cannot stake out all the paths that we want and choose them we have to decide that's our predicament and so how you how do you decide i think you know you reflect seriously about what you ultimately value you know what do you really think is worth living for it's interesting because you said you have to expose yourself to different people's perspectives and ideas and eventually yeah. you find something that interests you and you chase that. And I'm sure you've read a lot in your life being a philosopher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure, you know, as you told me that reading isn't always uh, the most pleasurable thing. It's the outcome of reading is what is satisfying right. to you. Right. What would you say is the most profound or powerful thing that you've ever come across whilst reading? There was one quote by... Nietzsche, which struck me, and, and I'm not a huge fan of Nietzsche, but uh, you know, can be very uh, provocative. If you know why you want to do something, then you can figure out how, how to, uh, then any how becomes possible. So as a philosopher, uh, let me ask you a question, because I'm sure you have to go through a lot of different philosophies and uh, decide whether or not this is useful or that is useful, or this is something that is good to teach in a classroom, you know, and how do you balance your skepticism when looking into new philosophies? And how do you decide which, which, uh, 
which thing to believe, what not to believe, not even as a professor or a, a doctor of philosophy, but just as an individual even? Mm. As a <clears throat> pretty complicated question, uh, I guess I would say, first of all, from the standpoint of teaching, you know, I think about what I, what I'm going to teach. Um, that depends on you know the, what kind of course it is. You know, uh, is it a course in ethics or political philosophy or metaphysics or uh, historical period? And then I, you know, look at uh, well, who is who do I think is valuable? Who has something to offer? Uh, a full range of ideas that students can be exposed to. Uh, I prefer to, to choose uh, philosophers who are fairly clear in their presentation and that uh, who I understand as well and so that I can explain them, uh, who are uh, sort of enriching. But as far as my, my own interests, uh, I work on the 17th century philosopher named uh, Leibniz, we mentioned earlier, and um, I'm working on uh, a translation and commentary on one of his um, uh, most important uh, works called the Discourse on Metaphysics. So what I'm interested in right now is figuring out what he's saying <laughs> in this work so that I can explain it to people in, 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 in the book so that they can understand what he is saying. With the objective that, uh, well, um, the idea is that what he's saying is interesting and important and can provoke thoughts in you to uh, figure out what you think about these things, right? Because there's a whole range of, of ideas that he talks about in this work. So my interest in it is making it, you know, uh, interesting and informative to uh, to anyone who wants to read it, because it's a difficult work to read. So as a, as a teacher, this is often what a philosophy professor does, or any teacher does, they take some work and you make it understandable to people who don't have the background that you mm. do. So that's that's mainly what I'm interested in doing. Why do you think uh, not many philosophies are coming out anymore? You know, like, it, used, like, it sounds like a metal genre. It used to be very popular and now it's in decline. And why, why is that? Yeah, um, I don't know. You know, I, I'm, I'm curious. Maybe you should tell me what you mean by philosophies. Uh, there may be... Um, because I, I always I think of philosophy as sort of one thing, and that is, uh, it's a way of studying uh, a certain kind of information or a certain body of information, and there are different ideas, but they're not different philosophies. Existentialism, for example, is is a kind of school of philosophy, for, you know, sort of roughly defined. There has been what's also called analytic philosophy that sort of came about as a, a way of doing philosophy with particular kinds of interests. There is uh, continental philosophy, which also is, has a, a certain range of interests, but also a certain method or style of doing philosophy. I like to think of them all as uh, sort of trying to get at, <laughs> trying to give us the truth of something, right? Uh, or at least uh, to enrich our ideas about things that are not easy to have certainty about. Hmm. So uh, I think it, one good example that actually I wish I had knew more about was is philosophy of mind. So that is um, so it's study about what the mind is and how it is related to the body, 
or and even if 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 these two things are different sorts of things that need an explanation and it's a fascinating area uh, that gets into you know a lot of uh, you know scientific explanation as well and it's difficult to come to a, a definitive answer about what the mind is which is part of what makes it really interesting and everyone has a mind so, um, so today when we study philosophy when we do philosophy we look at uh, different um, say fields of inquiry so philosophy of mind is one ethics is another uh, you know which you know we look at questions about how to live or what it means to live uh, ethically or morally Generally, there's the field of epistemology, which is the study of knowledge, which uh, investigates uh, how we are justified when we say we know X, what makes it so that we know X, right? uh, what, what uh, support or justification can we give to our claims. And then there's the history of philosophy, which I do mostly. I think of knowledge as something that... Uh, uh, requires an understanding of how it developed and how it came to be uh, because it doesn't occur in a vacuum so it, there's always a, a context and history to knowledge so I find it very interesting and informative to look at the uh, history of, uh, of ideas and that tells us something about how we think today and, and why we think today. Do you think that uh, most philosophers the reason they get into philosophy is to answer questions or is it to contemplate things? <laughs> yeah, as if that's uh, so all we just we just want to contemplate. <laughs> if I could only find a quiet space to contemplate, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's something to that in that uh, going back to Aristotle, who said that what God does and what God is is basically a thinking being, and all he does is contemplate all of existence, and partly because that contemplation gives the being the greatest pleasure <laughs> and which in some ways is very much like you know you figure what a philosopher does if you could just contemplate by the way the word contemplation is actually in greek it's uh, theoria which is theory which hmm. which means to have it's also related to the word for theater you can see the relation of theory and theater okay theater is where you have you know this sort of space where you have a view of the whole of what's going on you're looking onto a world so to speak and you're experiencing that world in the theater so when you're doing theory you're actually contemplating the systematic relationship of all things in the world well, you <laughs> as just blew if, my mind. <laughs> good. As if the world is a kind of theater that you are, are, huh. are sort of watching when you're, that's what contemplation is. And when you're doing that, you get pleasure from doing that because when you are performing the activity that is most peculiar to you as a, as a species, right? As, and that is to use your reason. When you're using that, you are most happy. If you're not using that, you're not going to be happy. You're not using what it is you're designed uh, and able to do. If you were a cow, <laughs> for example, it's okay. You don't need to contemplate the, uh, you know, you don't need to have a theater of the world in front of you. 
as Aristotle says, a bovine existence is not for human beings. It's not for us to sit, you know, to be couch potatoes because it is the um, underuse of our faculties. So what am I getting at? There is this image of the philosopher who just wants to contemplate, right? Well, that's the main, I would say, misconception I would imagine that you encounter yeah. about philosophy. Yeah, it's, it's not a not total misconception, really? but, it is, but it is, I think, um, misleading in that I think most of what goes on in philosophy is, like you said, it's uh, an effort to solve problems, to manage our lives in some ways, on a, on a level that I think a lot of people don't worry about or don't think about, but they should. <laughs> I think you, uh, I mean, if you look at the history of philosophy, I think a lot of it is a, is, a, is a history of how to solve a problem. You know, we have a problem. We don't know what to do. We don't know why we should do it. How can we find out? All right, so you, let's investigate. You know, let's ask questions about what it is good to do. And you, you ask, you know, is there, what happens to us after we die? You know, everyone wants to know this, you know. Well, that depends on whether we have minds that are separable from our bodies that can live on without them. So we have an intense interest in, you know, knowing what the mind is and, and it related to that, what the soul is. I mean, that's a very prevalent question throughout, you know, what is the soul? There are other reasons to be interested in what the mind or soul is, but uh, that's one, you know, these things come up as, as problems that we're interested in that need to be solved. Do you think if humans uh, found a way to solve death and live forever, do you think people would become bored of life eventually? <laughs> well, you know, I think, I mean, there is a, um, there's something to be said for that. You know, there's something you said about our finitude that makes it urgent that we do something. Um, Unless I suppose if you're a nihilist, there's nothing urgent <laughs> to do. Yeah. <laughs> but if if you want to, I mean, you know, if, if you don't have enough time to do what you want to do, you might feel a sense of urgency to do it. Uh, you want to have experiences. You want to, to realize certain values, and, so and you can't do everything you want. You have a limited time to do it, and that gives life a certain urgency. Um, it also makes it can also make it difficult to know what it is that is worthy of life if it just ends after a certain period, right? So um, we might try to figure out how to live in view of the fact that, you know, uh, all of our lives will be extinguished eventually. Um, so uh, maybe, you know, maybe there is an afterlife, but if not, uh, can we live uh, in a meaningful way? Um, in view of our eventual um, extinction, and that's a hard question, but I think I think you can. I think you can do that. Um, How do you do that exactly? Why is it just by accepting the inevitability and moving forward, and just saying, "Look, there's nothing I can do about this, but I'm here now, and I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because it gives me satisfaction." Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a very good answer. I mean, I think that um, so there's one question that a, a psychiatrist used to ask his patients uh, who were having sort of existential difficulties. He would say, uh, so why don't you kill yourself? Right? Is this Alan Watts? No, no. It's um, Victor Frankl. Okay. Uh, wrote a, a book that was very influenced by called Man's Search for Meaning. 
um, which is the uh, sort of American title. The real title is uh, um, a psychiatrist survives a concentration camp. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> so I mean, you, you think about life as a concentration camp and you can survive. You can live meaningfully in view of the, you know. But um, he thought that uh, if you could answer that question, then you wouldn't, uh, you know, your, your existential doubts would, would dissipate because you would have a reason uh, to keep going on in, in the view of uh, your eventual death. So you do, in a way, have to, uh, it, I think it's important to accept. And I think you can ac accept that you're going to die, whether you're going to, and whether there's an afterlife or not. I think it's important to accept it. Well, regardless, you are going to die. It's, it's a fact. True. Right? And uh, I think it's important to live life according to what we do know. And we do know that you're going to die. And so I would orient myself uh, around that. But I don't want to focus so much on death either because I think there are worthy things to do in life. And I think they are things like, well, love, for example. Um, and why is, that, why is that worthy to do? Right? Uh, you know, I think it brings us some pleasure, but I think it, it means that I'm not the only thing in the world that matters. You know? Yeah, I think um, a lot of meaning that we derive usually is, comes from other people. Uh, if I do something for myself, it might gain me a certain kind of satisfaction. Yeah. But when I am doing something for other people, uh, my satisfaction is much higher. And right. I think that's why people in third world countries and developing nations get much more satisfaction because they're, they're trying, let's say a guy he has a job, he's not doing it to, to go live in his apartment alone in a skyscraper in New York. He's doing it to feed 20 people in his family. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's not really thinking about the purpose of his life. He's just moving forward and trying to survive. And I think there's a yeah. lot of satisfaction in that. I think that's very good. And I think that why is there satisfaction when you're doing something for someone else? Um, it may be just something in nature that does that, but I think it means that you sort of increase yourself. You, it means that you you matter. You're important. Yeah, I think when once you find out what satisfies you, I guess you could kind of uh, not really care about those questions. Let, let me let me restate something. I think that um, what is common to everyone is that we suffer. We suffer physical pain, we suffer emotional pain. And um, I think one of the most important things that we can do, uh, each of us, is to alleviate that suffering in others. And um, um, I think that uh, even if in the end, you know, the, the sun explodes and uh, everything is extinguished, <laughs> we all pass away, I think that that's still it still matters because we are alive, we want to be alive, and um, it's also interesting. I, I always come back to this category of the interesting um, because uh, I think that, you know, does, does the world have any value? Well, um, I don't know, but it's damned interesting what's going on. And I want to know what is going on. Uh, for no other reason than it is just interesting. But beyond that, I think that there are, you know, 
genuinely valuable things that we can can do to enrich our lives and the and the lives of others and uh, I think when you are thinking sort of correctly you will come up with these things to do in your existential crisis <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I think curiosity is one of the most important things you ha- must have I'm glad you mentioned that curiosity is is uh, uh, enormously important in fact it's um one of it's 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 a it's something that even in philosophy that uh, people don't mention enough but it is in you'll find it in Aristotle and in Descartes as the first sort of uh, uh, emotion or interest that we have is is the sense of wonder about uh, what is going on <laughs> you know as uh, Aristotle says in his metaphysics um, uh, philosophy begins, you know, or, or inquiry begins with a sense of uh, of wonder. Why? What is this? Right? And uh, Descartes says the same thing that our our first emotion is not pleasure or pain, but wow, <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? I mean, not that an infant an infant has this kind of cognition about it, but there's on some level, you know, you can see it in a in a in a baby's eyes, like. <laughs> right. What is this? Uh, and if I think what happens is our curiosity, our natural curiosity, our natural wonder, often gets squashed in various ways by the fact that you know, yeah, we 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 encounter pain so frequently, then we want to avoid it. That we think more about other things like how can I you know manage my pleasure and pain, or how can I manage my difficulties in life that we forget. That uh, initially, what we uh, that we find life just plain interesting, and that itself is a is a motive for being. You know, what is this? And there's it's a never ending search. It's a never ending uh, uh, inquiry into what is this, and that's why that's really what I love about philosophy. It's this never ending. Uh, inquiry into being and, uh, and it's not just is is this never-ending inquiry it's a way of inquiring inquiring that is you know methodical that makes me feel like I'm getting somewhere that it's always satisfying my curiosity but also fueling it because when you, you, know, you learn something, then you go, well, why is that? And you want to know more. And so you're constantly satisfied and dissatisfied <laughs> over what you don't yet know. And so you're constantly driven forward. Talking about uh, philosophy and being a professor of philosophy, I'm sure you do encounter some students that uh, aren't as curious as you would like them to be. Of course. Uh, how, what do you do exactly to, to try and... Uh, persuade them to engage that part of their brain to become more curious yeah let me let me go back a second to because you asked about skepticism and I just wanted to finish that sure Uh, skepticism a lot of people think is just you know the sort of as a failure is like a failure to believe in anything or uh, uh, always maintaining a stance of doubt and I think in on one sense like I mentioned epistemic humility that's important but the thing about skepticism is not to maintain a sense of doubt, 
but to keep open to inquiry. And actually, the word skeptic uh, originally means to in uh, to in to seek, hmm. to seek, not to stop believing or stop thinking, but to keep inquiring. Some of the ancients thought that uh, skepticism was, was actually a way of it was a way to live because it would actually reduce anxiety. Really? Yeah. Because hmm. then you weren't always in tension about what is true uh, because if you just took the stand that, well, I don't know what is true and I have to keep looking. And uh, if, I, if I demand that something be true, then I'm always going to be unhappy because if I look closely, I'll find out that it's not true. On the other hand, it can be... Uh, uh, debilitating because if you don't think that anything is true then what are you going to do right so you have to take you have to take provisions you know you have to say well I'm gonna take this stand for a while and see how it goes but be ready to revise your position <laughs> so anyway so about your your question about um, how do you get students to take say a philosophical attitude that's hard some of them already have it, but uh, what I try to do is awaken in them their curiosity about things and try to indicate why is it that you need to know this. And to do that, you have to find, you have to show them that what they currently think might be false. This is why uh, often Socrates is a good way of introducing philosophy because he takes a question like, what is piety what is what is our holiness and uh, look you know ask you know what is what does it mean to be holy and um, so then someone says well it means this it means uh, uh, respecting the gods you know um, then the question could be well do the gods need your respect why do they want you to be to respect them you know um, and the point of this is, is to think about why should I care about what it is to be holy? You should care because if you think that you ought to be holy, you ought to know what you're doing. You ought to know what you're talking about. Right? Um, let me give you maybe something else. You know, if you think that it is right to give to famine relief, for example, <laughs> why do you think that it is right? What are the reasons that we have to uh, to do such a thing? Why don't I just you know give to my friends or keep money myself? Why should I be obliged to do that? People say, well, because you know it's just a nice thing to do. Well, you know my parents want me to do this. You know, well, these reasons aren't sufficient. You know, we have to understand the reasons why we're doing things. And so, if I can convince a student that they need to understand their reasons why they do something. You know, you believe in God, why? What reasons do you have for that? It's, it, I don't care if you believe in God or not. I care that you have reasons to do so. Because if you don't have reasons, you don't really have a belief. You've just taken it out of the air, adopted it. So, um, so if I can get a student to see that they need to examine their beliefs, you know, and use something provocative, that would get them there, and that's what I try to do. Um, but it's not often successful. What do you think uh, makes someone curious? That What separates a student that you know is going to be curious versus a student that isn't going to be curious, do you think? 
I mean, I think everyone has the potential to be curious. Right? I think what happens is there isn't a... Uh, maybe they haven't encountered a consequence to how they're living, to question why they should live that way. Um, but eventually they will. You know, something will happen. They'll, you know, maybe maybe their parent, a parent or a loved one will die, and then they'll have to think about, you know, wow, this is... This is terrible. What does this mean, you know, to me? Um, they or they might lose their job, or uh, become uh, physically debilitated in some way, um, or they just in, encounter a lot of uh, questions they don't know how to answer, and then maybe start to seek some answers. I get uh, from students. They say they when they. After they take a class, they say, I didn't know that you could think like this. I didn't know that, uh, um, that that's what philosophy was, a, was about. It was about, say, examining ideas in a sort of systematic way so that they could, you know, give support to their beliefs and, and give reasons for them um, so they can understand themselves better. A lot of people don't really care to understand themselves better. They just uh, want to do what works. I think, yeah, that's, that's a beautiful point to end on. Because in the end of the day, we all need to be curious, and we all need to find our reasons to be curious. And uh, with that being said, Mr. Right. Rape, signing off. Uh -huh.